Hello there and welcome to the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm your host, Rob Warner, joined by Sun Devil Source reporter Kalen Jones. How are you, KJ? Good, man. How you been? Doing all right, doing all right. It's March Madness starting today, the first day of the round of 64. We have our very own site publisher, Chris Cartman. How are you today, Chris? Balling like Ginobili. Balling like <laughs> Ginobili. That's a perfect segue into our, our talking about the guys who weren't exactly balling last night. Arizona State, they lost 60-56 to to Syracuse in Dayton. Uh, the three guards, Trey Holder, Cody Jessis, and Shannon Evans combined to go 15-40 of 40 from the field. Shannon Evans went 4-12 of 12 from downtown. He only took one shot that wasn't a three-pointer, and he missed that as well. Uh, Daquan Lake had 10 points, three rebounds in limited action. And Remy Martin had zero points but had seven rebounds leading the team in under 20 minutes of action. What about his assists? I believe he had two assists in the game. No. They were both pretty... Pr- he, no. had, he had four assists in the game. Excuse me. Four assists and Thank seven you. rebounds. So even though he wasn't, he wasn't having success scoring, he... He, he contributed in other ways. And this is now from the start of Pac-12 play until until the loss against Syracuse last night. ASU is now 2-10 and ten when teams have four nights or more to prepare for them. What are you guys... In the ins- Pac-12. In the Pac-12. And, and after the start of Pac-12. Yes, after the start of Pac-12 play. Yeah. So so what's your guys' instant analysis for this game? Chris, I know you wrote a piece on that that people can find at sundevilsource.com about, that you published uh, pretty quickly about, about some of the... Things you saw right away. Well, just looking at this game very narrowly first, is it was a microcosm of ASU season. Uh, you had a, a team that struggled against zone, faces a really difficult zone in Syracuse, has a hard time with it, shoots 40% from the game, ends up taking an abundance of three of its uh, field goals from three, 32 of its 52 shots are from three. Syracuse has a good three-point field goal defense. ASU... Uh, is a team that's kind of up and down. Of course, got a seven-point lead with five minutes and something left in the game. Couldn't sustain it. Uh, you know, e- even even against a team like Syracuse, which doesn't have enough offensive firepower to escape ASU, there were still these kind of runs that were random and and kind of hard to forecast. But you knew that they were going to be a part of the game. Uh, once again, a close game that ASU loses. Uh, ASU. Um, played in more single-digit games in the Pac-12 this year than any team in history. Uh, had a losing record pretty clearly in those games, and again lost a close game. Once again, mm-hmm. end-game situations. And they only lost one game this year by double digits. That was the game against Colorado. Correct. Colorado in the Pac-12 tournament in the first round. All the other eleven games are all um, single, single digits, digits, and yeah. I think ASU won five games by single digits. So, yeah. so. Uh, they have a bad record with days to prepare, you know, the, the extended days to prepare, and they have a bad record uh, to with in, in closer games. I think that that is um, it does hint to some some coaching issues, primarily because uh, ASU doesn't turn the bo- the basketball over a lot. They're one of the best teams in the Pac-12, if not in nationally, in turnover margin. Um, 11 turnovers in this game, which is maybe a little bit higher than normal, but still actually a pretty good number overall. For a team that has three senior guards and doesn't turn the ball over, has around a, a plus four advantage on uh, a turnover margin, they should win more closer games. They should. Right? Because yeah. you should be able to get better possessions later in games, better decision-making from your senior guards later right. in games. Uh, they have three guys that can make shots at a pretty high clip. 
and yet it didn't materialize this no. season. And some of the fundamentals last night were really key. They, they they were 0 of 3 shooting free throws in the second half, only had three free throws in the second half. Kalen, what did you think about how they were executing late in the game? Well, you know, Chris actually nailed it. The word microcosm of this being, you know, outlook of the whole ASU season, really. Um, that final possession in particular, we were talking about it before the podcast, guys. Like, I, I thought, you know, the fact that Bobby Hurley – did not elect the call timeout kind of speaks to what the senior guards have been preaching to us all season long, which is that Bobby Hurley allows his players to play, play freely. And, you know, in, in spurts and even at the beginning of the season, like the outset, it played into played to be their advantage. And even in, in the final stretch, when they got such a good look with Shannon Evans, it turned out it would have been um, probably a better decision there to let them play so freely. But again, it's also cost them. The fact that they didn't have a set offense, there were there was that spurt um, when ASU took the lead during the early stages of the second half. And Jim Beheim, you know, credit to him being a, uh, you know, he's been in this for a long time coaching. He snubbed um, their spurt after an 8-0 run. Other teams probably let, would have let ASU to build that out a little bit longer than what they did. So credit to him on that. But um, you saw that the success that ASU had against his own kind of go away. It was really that only spurt of the game. There wasn't much of a really designed offense to penetrate and break the zone, at least successfully. Um, the lack of creativity that Chris actually mentioned early on, and he'll probably break it down a little bit more in a second. But um, it, it just, again, like again, like Chris said, it was just kind of a microcosm of everything that happened because poor shooting from three, um, hot shooting from three got them that lead, but it also cost them late in the game. Mm-hmm. Inability to get to the free throw line, turnovers, I mean, you name it. I well, think coaching was one of the really big things, and we talked about that a little bit, like you said, before the podcast, but 32 NCAA tournament appearances for Jim Beheim, and it looked like the coaching, I mean, it looked like Syracuse got the game they won, which is what you talked about on Tuesday, Chris, which is, you said if there's a low-scoring game where it's coming down to who can play better defense, Syracuse has the edge definitely, and, and that's what played out last night. Well, yeah, I mean, Syracuse is famous for dictating tempo and mm-hmm. getting the type of game it wants. It's a bad offensive team, so you have to take the air out of the ball. You have to eliminate uh, opponents' abilities to get fast-break points, second-chance points, and and they did that. ASU had eight uh, offensive rebounds. ASU had five second-chance points in the game. Uh, fast-break points, ASU had three. So... Unless ASU shoots the ball uncharacteristically well, which, by the way, that's what happened at the beginning of the yeah. second half, yeah. is guys started to make threes that yeah. were not really easy threes. Yeah, Cody Justice and Shannon both hit like 35-foot threes, <sighs> yeah. and Beheim snuffed it right out. Justice was like, couldn't make anything in the first half, comes out of the second half, makes a couple threes. Fadeaway three. You know. Shannon from the logo. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, okay, they hit some shots, right? But... Uh, at the end of the day, as you said, Kalen, you have to be, you have to have a better strategy, and then you have to be able to execute that strategy more effectively against zone defenses. Mm-hmm. If you look at this game, um, you know we talked about it in the preview. You know, you're going to get try to get the ball to the high post with Cody Justice. Mm-hmm. What they were doing is they were having that one action where Shannon Evans would bleed to the to the to the to the side yep. as the ball went in and then they would kick it out and the Shannon Evans would get the open three. Okay, but other than that, what really did they have? <laughs> Cody Justice has to actually face the basket, square to the hoop, mm-hmm. be a threat to shoot that mid-range shot, be a threat to dribble and put up a, a floater or mm-hmm. a layup, make the defense collapse to him from the post to be able to drop mm-hmm. off the ball to the short corner right. or to the post to be able to get baskets. Now, Romello White takes in the whole game – 
two field goal attempts on 25 minutes. Uh, uh, Daquan Lake, two field goal attempts on, tw- on 12 minutes. That's four field goal attempts from your two post players in a combined 37 minutes. Yep. There was many, many minutes of, of, of a span, of a stretch, where those guys didn't even touch the ball at all. And what we weren't seeing, in addition to you not getting the ball to your post players on the interior, really even trying for the most part, when you're when Cody Justice is like reverse pivoting away from the hoop to throw the ball. That was uh, actually Mickey Mitchell, where he wasn't even yeah. turning. Oh, the Mickey look Mitchell. Yeah. Sometimes Cody. Sometimes Cody too. Right. Yeah. Or they, he knew that he wanted to immediately go. Yeah. Out immediately the, go back out. Yeah. And like, Mickey like two Mitchell. Or three turnovers. I was yeah. I was kind of surprised. There were a few possessions late in the game. I think with under four minutes to go, when Mickey Mitchell got the ball essentially wide open in that area that we talked about being so crucial, right, right in front of the three point line, and didn't the shoot post. the high, yeah, in the high post. Didn't shoot. Didn't pass extraordinarily well. Because he, he's not skilled and he's not coordinated, really. And he, those are the passes, a, though, that I think he needed to make. Where those are the he needed to drive at least, like you said, to try to break down the zone, to try to put the pressure in other ways on the Syracuse defense. Correct. But 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 if you zoom out even further than that, it, a lot of it comes down to having set plays that are sophisticated enough to be able to get guys shots. Now remember in the first yep. half, they were ASU was getting open corner threes. Yep. Pretty pretty easily. Mm-hmm. It sort of seemed to, to go to 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 they go they went away from it. Maybe partly Syracuse adjusted a little bit to some degree. But th- what we didn't see is we didn't see ball penetration dragging defenders from the weak from the play side to the weak side to get guys motioning that way. We didn't see a lot of baseline uh, motions Action, yeah. so to get guys you know stressing the the that that line of the defense. We didn't see uh, actions that screened off the ball on the perimeter of the underneath part of the zone in order to get open threes. Mm-hmm. They're just. It, there's just not a, much sophistication in what they're trying to do schematically, and and that that really was just a, one more example on top of the pile of what we saw from this ASU team since Colorado and Utah really gave the team some problems with the zone early on in the season. And you could say as much as you want, okay, a lot of this is personnel driven, and it really is, okay, but coaching is what really puts your players into a position to be successful with whatever, you know, things that you have. I like the idea theoretically of a, a player driven system and giving guys freedom and allowing right. them to do things, but it may be a little bit beyond players exactly. in some of these situations <laughs> against good opponents and especially coming down the stretches in games yeah. when you need more of an absolute plan of here's how what we're going to do in this situation as opposed to yeah let's see what happens like the, the Mitchell it, possession where he randomly ends up scoring the ball falls over and, and somehow scores it it came out of a scrum it yeah, was dude. there was nothing good about right. the way that happened I couldn't believe and Hurley made. didn't take his time out which was his last time out you know I just I think that they almost have to get back to the drawing board in some respects against zone offense. They do. And zone defense. Yeah, and to that point, the when they did experience success, I thought the only player who really, you know, flashed the ability to penetrate was Remy Martin. Mm-hmm. And it felt like early on that Bobby Hurley probably took him out a little bit earlier than he should have. I thought that when he had 
Remy Martin and Mickey Mitchell on the floor at the same time, I was like, okay, maybe he's figuring out substitutions. Then you put Daquan Lake in. He started to have, you know, impact both defensively and offensively. But in the second half, I think he reverted and started taking and pulled the plug on Daquan Lake a little bit early, even as Syracuse came back into the game. Remy Martin didn't even see the floor. That's a really good point. Like, Daquan Lake was having a really good performance. He gets pulled. Two points, three blocks, two offensive rebounds. He had that one sequence where he gets a block, gets a dunk, gets a block at the other end. (laughs) He's, you know, he's, you know, he was really involved. Remy Martin. He only played 12 minutes in the game. He, from, from like the nine minute mark or so of the second half, all the way until the very end, nearly, he's not on the floor, even though he made an impact. Um, and, 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 and some other personnel decisions, like why is Vitaly Scheibel starting, much less being on the floor for 14 minutes, taking no no you know field goal attempts athletically? He's overmatched against Syracuse's front line. Right. I think you just have to embrace who you are, go small. Yep. And just try figure to out ways sh- to get the ball where you need yep. to. And you still have screen screw more ball screens on the perimeter that. To, you know, I understand Shannon Evans doesn't want to bring the ball that much inside of the the three point line because he's not really a good shooter from anywhere other than at the basket or beyond the three point line. But Trey Holder, man, you got to actually figure out ways to create situations yeah. for a guy like Trey Holder. How much offense did we see ASU actually say we are going to make sure that we get Trey Holder involved in a way that he wants and is comfortable with in this game against yeah. the zone? I didn't see it really at all. So I'm just left with, as far at least in terms of this part of it, uh, I'm left with some questions. Now, in the instant analysis piece that you referred to, Rod, that I wrote about, right? You what you have to also frame this by saying, Bobby Hurley did a great job at getting fans invested in the program. Mm-hmm. If you don't have an interest in the community. You had one after part of the season. You're, yeah, they, they, what they did, what they had 10,600 fans in a, uh, on average, broke the record by more than 1,000. That's tremendous. The other part about it is recruiting, okay? They're doing some things in recruiting that have never been done around here. Yep. And at the end of the day, it's a talent game. Talent is what wins you. The best teams in the Pac-12 this year, Arizona, USC, UCLA maybe, right? They're the most talented teams in the league. They have the most four-star or better recruits. The next tier is like Syracuse, Oregon. I mean Syracuse. Stanford, (laughs) Stanford, Oregon, Utah. Okay? Mm -hmm. They're the next. They're the next. ASU's in that mix. They're the next tier. Then ASU's like at the cusp of that. But what's going to happen now is ASU's going to be even more talented next year. So so what I would say is the overarching theme here is ASU's got two of its pillars that that you need, two of the three pillars that you need to erect a successful program on are established. They got more players coming into the pipeline who are really good recruits. Layering and down it all for started after the, that start, yeah. and they have the and they have the fan attendance. Okay, so two of the three are really good, really yeah. strong, solid. The third one is the coaching component, game prep, getting guys in the right position to be successful. That's the one that's very much still under construction that we're going to be talking about a lot, like in the next year. So, so as we talk about that, and as ASU finished their season yesterday, how can we put this season into perspective? I know you you wrote about that partly in in that piece. Um, in Chris's piece on on SunDevilSource.com, but how do you measure this team and what they did this year? Again, um, and we we talked about it on the previous podcast, like whether or not ASU season would be considered a success. 
I still deem it as being such just because, again, like Chris just mentioned, the foundation has been set. When you have investment, when you have good recruiting, which is at the foundation of every single successful program, like it's the backbone of, of success moving forward. So in, in that aspect, yes. And then again, for this group, and let's be, and if anything, yesterday was a chance to prove that. I mean, they, this wasn't the best, you know, highest potential team, or as Christian said, let me just say this, they're going to get better next year and potentially moving forward. So to be able to get this far and to amount as much success as they did in this season, I would deem it a success. Sure, you're probably disappointed as a fan, like to see them bow out of the Pac-12 tournament, to see them, you know, and, you know, Bobby Hurley broke it up into phases. The first phase of the season, uh, they 12-0, undefeated non-conference play. Second phase, Pac-12, extremely disappointing, not the result you want in postseason to come out completely fat, flat and go 0-2. Sure, that's disappointing, but again, as an ASU fan, you should be looking at the bright side moving forward. Like, you're going to get better. I think most most ASU fans are more on the casual side. They're not – you have some that are hardcore, really passionate. They like, show up all the time. More people are like, wow, maybe the a- this is the year for ASU yeah, to immediate. make a run in the tournaments, mm-hmm. right? Right. And when you're 12-0 and 0 and you're ranked third in the country, that's what people want ultimately. People yeah. are – the people who aren't like the diehards, they're, they're, they're more looking at it like, holy cow, we could have a year this year where we make a run. Yeah. And then when that doesn't happen and you have a below 500 record in the Pac-12 and then you bow out in the first four, people go, man, that's disappointing. Yeah. And I, that's, I understand that. Yes, like, I that's get a that. Fair, fair. Yeah. Now, but if you're, if you're evaluating – did ASU take a good step forward in Bobby Hurley's third year? The answer is yes, they, they did. <laughs> you get to the tournament, you win 20 games, the schedule's tough, you're beating some good teams, your fans are starting to show up, you're recruiting at a higher level. All those things are kind of positives about kind of where you're at. It's just that um, people's hopes got you know really high, probably a little bit unrealistically high, and, and, and probably – you know, some of our analysis was probably flawed a little bit, kind of at an earlier junction of the year when ASU was undefeated in the conference, and, and it contributed to that. So um, they are going to be more talented next year as far as are they going to be a better team? I think that remains to be seen. Ooh, that's a good point. And, and, that's, and, and that's sort of how the measuring stick of Bobby Hurley is going to start to yeah. shape up because – so look at it. Remy Martin's a four star, uh, even though you know, even though uh, he wasn't a four star. Rob Edwards was a, was a, one of the best players in a lower tier league. He's going to be a good player. Yeah. Zylan Cheatham was a four star coming out of high school. Romello White's a four star coming out of high school. Kamani Lawrence is a four star, and uh, and and this team just signed three four stars. Yeah. They got four stars all over the place. Now they're going to be one of the more talented quote unquote teams in the league. How does that translate to what they are on the on, on the, the the court? That remains to be seen because let's let's face it, they're not going to have a lot more in the post probably. No, which was limiting for them. Right. And this team has this year at least they kind of based upon their offense they needed to be a really good three point shooting team. And they didn't add too many shooters. And either. they're not going to be as good of a three point yeah. shooting team <laughs> next year probably. 
you know? It's so... I, I mean, I don't know about that. I mean, Remy was getting better toward the end of the year, it looked like. You Edward, think that Remy's Edwards, a better... Yeah, think, no, I don't uh, think he's better than, than either of the of, of those three, but I think that he could he could become better over the offseason. Rob Edwards is a good three-point shooter. Huh? I think if you see Valatonin and Dort be able to shoot shoot the three-ball pretty well. Those Dort's, are guys off the bench, though. Dort's more of an average shooter, I would say. Uh, Val, I see what you guys are saying, though. Valtonin, yeah, but, you know, coming from Europe, do you anticipate that he compared yeah. to what you had from Shannon Evans, Trailer and Cody Justice? In the immediate. I think overall they're probably not going to be mm-hmm. quite as good of a shooting team. So, no, they're going to be longer. They're going to be more athletic. They're going to be able to win in different ways. And now let's see if they actually do win in different ways. That's That's – what remains to be seen, and they're going to probably and they have eleven scholarships used, so they, they they could still add more a player or two. And one way that I have been trying to evaluate um, this season in perspective is something I realized last year around this time. What were people saying? What was the goal? The goal was mostly this team should be able to potentially get to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, it was a bubble team. It was a bubble team hoping to get to the NCAA tournament. I said the the over under on wins was nineteen. They and, got 20. And they got yeah, 20. Yeah. So it was yeah. right around where you said. And and while they had that great run and they got to 12-0, and 0, we, we talked about the irrational confidence of some of the players. But really, they did what Bobby Hurley said at the beginning of the year was their main goal, which was to get to the NCAA tournament. Yep. And while they didn't do... While they didn't do as well as it looked like they were going to do when they were the last undefeated team in the country, I think you have to look at it through the eyes of what we thought a season ago. Did we think that they were going to be able to go you know, 25-7? and 7? No, probably not. Um, but you talk about the additions that they're going to see next year and, and moving forward. The additions are going to be Elias Valtonen, Lugin Stort, Tayshawn Cherry. Those are the three big pickups they have. The losses, Trey Holder, Shannon Evans, Cody Justice, and Austin Witherell. Uh, guard you, kind of ending of an era. What do you guys think the lineup is going to look like next year? The starting lineup. Remy Martin and Rob Edwards are starting in the backcourt. Um, they'll probably still start Romello White. I think Zylan Cheatham probably starts at power forward. The the other spot is sort of the one that's most up for grabs, probably. Um, my guess is that Kamani Lawrence has a good offseason. You know, before he got hurt, the the perspective of the team was that he was among their best players. Yeah. Um, so that's he would be my guess. Um, you know, there's always a chance that that. Uh, maybe you go smaller and somebody else is in the lineup. Maybe you go bigger and yeah, I'm not really sure. But that that's you know I think I think those are my starters. And then of course um, Lugensdort is going to come off the bench and, and play a lot. Um, you're going to get Daquan Lake is going to play a lot. If not, maybe Daquan Lake has a good off season and pushes Romello. I think yeah. we agree that maybe he was better at times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know during the season and then. Uh, I think Tayshawn Cherry is going to play a lot. You know, maybe maybe you go big with Tayshawn Cherry at the four, Kamani Lawrence at the three, yeah. and and that's your that's your lineup. I'm not really sure. You know, we'll see. But uh, they'll have good options and they'll have, they'll have good combination, different combinations that they can put out on the court as well. So transitioning over to some spring football now. We've now watched two spring practices of the Herm Edwards era. Um, some big changes across the board with the coaching staff, obviously. How do you guys think the coaches, uh, these first practices of the Herm Edwards era in, in the coaches, reflect or contrast w- what was seen in, in Todd Graham's first practice with his with his coaching staff? Yeah, this was the most fascinating thing to me that I like to watch 
Um, I, I've been. This is the fourth staff that I've covered for for and uh, really the fifth that I followed closely. If you go back to Bruce Snyder um, when I was a student at ASU and. Uh, Todd Graham, his first year when he came in, mm-hmm. he was he was replacing a uh, a coach in in um, Dennis Erickson who really was um, they had lost their way from a disciplinary standpoint. Todd Graham needed to come in and be a drill sergeant and really almost put the fear of God in, in some <laughs> of his players. And I, what I remember is just. A insane amount of screaming and yelling and and uh, forced running and guys bending over and throwing up in trash cans from Todd Graham's first practice like major intensity like like level 10 Herm Edwards first day laid back the dude is dancing and singing to Nelly and um, what we all want to do I mean, actually, we're gonna make you do that, Rob, in the next the next <laughs> practice. Um, and, and but but very a lot more of a of a pro vibe yep. out there to practices. Um, you just don't hear coaches yelling and screaming. The staff is a lot more low key and laid back. Um, one of the things that Gene Boyd, who's now you know like the unofficial general manager of football, told me is that Herm is big on players being able to be who they are like to to own their personalities and be comfortable within themselves but then also know that when you're on the practice field you have to give a maximum effort it's business, you know. and what they did one of the things that i found really interesting um so danny gonzalez a new coordinator he talked after today's practice um at thursday as we're taping it he said that there were i believe the number was 68 loafs by individuals in practice on defense in the previous, the first session on Tuesday. Loafs. Lo, uh, yeah, lo, lo, that's, a, that's a term that even Graham used it, but basically if you see in a game a guy does, it doesn't Not, run as hard yeah, to the yeah, ball or whatever, that's a loaf. They had 68 <laughs> practice. That's a very high number, okay? And for every loaf, the entire defense had to do what they call a perfect 10. It's basically a 10-yard yep. run together oh, yeah. as a team, mm-hmm. okay? And so to get to 68 of them, you probably have to run like a hundred of them, he said. So a hundred ten-yard sprints, everybody has a team, right? Yeah. That's gonna get guys to not loaf, essentially. But so my point is that they're they're approaching the discipline and all that stuff in a in a different way. Mm-hmm. They're being low key with accountability, mm-hmm. right? Which is that's more of a pro sort of a model. An approach. So that those were that those were kind of my biggest takeaways. The other things structurally, the defense is a lot different. We're going to talk about that a lot in the premium. Um, you know, the offensive coaches, some of them have continuity, um, and then you all you always notice big changes in players' physiques because they, you go through a two to three month period mm-hmm. where you don't see the guys. You know, they're under wraps. They're getting you know all this lifting in and eating and all that stuff. So some of these guys have really changed their bodies a lot. And that's another thing I want to talk about when we hit the premium. And the most important question you've ever been asked in your life about love. So is that supposed to – does it stand for something? Are they? Is it a, a joke for a loaf of bread? I, no, it's a term. Like it, but, it means to be leisure. The definition right? of leisure. loaf is to be overly casual. Yeah. 
one of the definitions. Now, another definition is some bread <laughs> that you that you can eat, but yeah, it's a term. It's an, hopefully it's all of you listening defini- appreciate actual, that I ask the hard hitting questions like that. I I don't know where you were actually going with that. The <laughs> hardest question is defining a word that's the four letters. Yeah, in the English language. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so some of the noticeable changes we've seen thus far in practice: uh, Nick Ralston, formerly a running back, practicing at linebacker. Jalen Harvey, a, a former wide receiver, practicing at the Ranger position on defense. Kalen, what are some of your your first impressions after these couple practices? Um, so Chris actually pointed out to me like how intense Nick Ralston was. Um, it was actually during um, I can't remember what drill it is. Wherever you you go up against the the dummy, you have to lift it. So he went third in the order, and I think Antonio Pierce was getting on him for you know going from the side. But of all the guys to go, he was the one that lifted the thing up and threw it about 10 yards away. So you could just kind of see the fire again, like Chris mentioned the fire that was kind of in his eyes. Um, It was definitely in there. So he, he looks pretty good. Um, As far as like in in terms of just physique and probably fitting in, he, he has the compact body look of a linebacker. Again, we'll probably save more in-depth stuff for the premium, but he, he looked pretty solid from what I saw. Um, Again, I was only there on Tuesday, but, um, again, Jalen Harvey, as you mentioned, playing over at the Ranger position, Nikhil Harry and Kyle Williams both kind of, you know, gave the vote of confidence in him to work out at the position. Again, he's someone who Rob Likens mentioned as being their, you know, most grittiest receiver, so to speak, doing all the hard work, um, blocking for players, um, setting up in the screen game. He wasn't really an option necessarily as a, a target, but for what he did in the blocking game, in terms of what he did over the middle, in terms of getting hard yardage for ASU um, – he, he was a serviceable target, but he can transition that. I think that mentality transitions pretty well over to the defensive end, and he does have pretty good range, maybe not the hardest hitter but in terms of his frame, but he could fit over as a range Ranger-type safety. I don't think it's giving anything away, but when you move Jalen Harvey from off, from def, from off pardon me, from offense to defense, um, it leaves you with Nikhil Harry and Kyle Williams as your two kind of established receivers right. from last year. They're going to have to find a third receiver to pair with those guys as your starter. Kyle Williams is somebody that was so good that they decided to move him outside because you had Jalen Harvey inside last mm-hmm. year. So Kyle Williams is a, is a versatile piece. You play him inside, play him outside. There's candidates to be that third guy, and that's something else that we'll talk about in a subsequent premium. So the first practices are are uh, the first practice was only was helmets only. The practice tomorrow on Friday is going to be in the is going to be in their shells. Next week is actually going to be tackling. We're just getting started in the spring, talking about football, these first spring practices. We're very excited about our football coverage that we'll have for all of you throughout this spring and in the fall, obviously. More is coming in subsequent weeks, so please keep it locked at sundevilsource.com. And as always, for Kalen Jones and site publisher Chris Cartman, I'm your host, Rob Warner, saying so long, and thank you for tuning in.